Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine and sponsored by Steer. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bellotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and we have a great show lined up for you today. Our guest today is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sinton. So we're excited to have him on the show. He hasn't been here for a while, so we're excited to have him come back on and tell us a little bit about what is going on at the Railroad Commission. But now it's time for our resident energy expert and editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. It's a beautiful day in Texas. There's a lot of interesting things that are going on this week. And it seems like, I say this every week, but things just change so fast in oil and gas. Um, Rather, it's uh, geopolitical or if it's the price of oil or there's a new discovery. And so I hope to get into all of that. But first, I want to talk about something very, very interesting. A group of activist investors uh, that had a huge setback last week when they approached the SEC uh, and the SEC actually ruled that EOG resources could ignore a climate-based resolution that had been submitted for a vote by the company's shareholders. That seems very strange that one, the SEC is involved in something dealing with uh, the environment because I thought that the EPA, that's what their job is. So tell me a little bit about what you think is going on here and why is this so important? Well, it is important and it's a story that didn't get a lot of notice in the media, Um, but it's actually very important. This is a group of activist investors who uh, bring uh, shareholder resolutions uh, at annual meetings for companies um, to try to force them to engage in these, these exercises, reporting, and other kinds of exercises that waste a lot of time internally, setting targets and goals for reducing emissions and things like that that really are the purview of the EPA. Um, And in the past administration, you know, uh, that was always allowed uh, to to go forward. But uh, EOG appealed to the SEC and said, look, this is a nuisance resolution. They're trying to micromanage the company in a way that doesn't really contribute to our profitability. And we want to just ignore this uh, at our shareholders meeting. And lo and behold, the SEC in, in the Trump administration now said, yeah, you're right. You don't have to deal with that. And uh, you can just ignore it. Well, this is, this is a huge change in policy at the SEC. Um, you know, the, the, this kind of investor activism really ramped up in a big way during the Obama administration because these things were allowed to always move forward. And uh, companies, you know, it just it costs a lot of time, a lot of money that, uh, you know, would otherwise be going to making the company more profitable. And uh, where environmental, you know, considerations are concerned, again, you have the EPA uh, regulating all of that. And, and that, that's where companies need to be dealing with environmental concerns. So it's a big deal. It's a, it's a it's a real just another real big change in direction in this administration from the previous administration. And the news media, as usual, doesn't really understand what the significance is. Well, is it because these uh, activist investors, um, they have something, uh, a dog in the fight? I mean, like, do they 
also invest money, but in other areas that are actually the opposite of oil and gas? Yeah, yeah, they do. But they're, but they're also, you know, they do invest in the company stock. Otherwise, they wouldn't have standing as a shareholder. Um, and you would think uh, people who are investing their money in a company would be wanting it to focus on, you know, making the company as profitable as it can be. Um, but that's, of course, not the goal of these people. Their goal is activism. And uh, actually, really, their ultimate goal is putting these companies like EOG out of business. And it's just it's just really a, a, a pernicious thing that's just been allowed to really fester by the previous administration. And hopefully uh, the SEC's decision means we're going to have a consistent change in policy in the, in the current administration. Exactly. They're, they need to stick to... Uh the part about investing money and making sure that they are upholding everything they need to pertaining to that and stay out of uh, the area of where the EPA should really be ruling and regulating. In other news, Bahrain announced this week that they had made a new discovery in the western part of their country, which is estimated to be about 80 billion barrels of recoverable oil reserves uh, that's pretty big. Tell me a little bit about this new discovery, and um, is their estimation accurate? Well, we don't know. I mean, it, you know, if it is accurate, it's it's gigantic, of course. Uh, it would be, you know, a, a good comparison is to, to date, over the last 40 years, we've produced about 16 to 17 billion barrels of oil out of Prudhoe Bay on the North Slope of Alaska. It's the biggest oil field ever discovered in the United States. So, uh, assuming the, the government of Bahrain's uh, uh, estimate is correct, you know this would be five times Prudhoe Bay. So that's that's a gigantic find. Um, we won't know for years whether or not that that estimate is accurate. Frankly, um, uh, these countries don't don't have the same kind of reserves estimating requirements that we do in the United States. So it's hard to really analyze, but. But, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt, and I don't think anyone doubts that it's a major new find of, of, of oil reserves that'll have an impact, uh, you know, on the global supply picture over the next couple of decades. And it just, you know, it's just another indicator of the fact that there's still an awful lot of oil to be found in, yeah, in this world. And, you know, it's not necessarily sitting in these very remote areas like the Arctic or you know, and, 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 you know, this is right in the middle of the Persian Gulf, for crying out loud. Uh, a brand new oil field, major oil field discovered in the Persian Gulf. So, it, you know, it just is another indicator that the world is just uh, awash in, in crude oil. Well, you know, one good thing about that is, obviously, we depend on oil and gas for just uh, the quality of our life and, and, and how nice it is. And so the fact that uh, we don't have any really reliable resources currently right now in place and won't for quite some time. It's it's nice to see because I think, and I'm going to move into a, a Gallup poll, I think that uh, the American people are kind of waking up to how really nice it is to have access to a lot of gas, cheap gas, plentiful gas, and there's something reassuring about that. Um, and so I want to talk about a new uh, Gallup poll that came out this week in which it indicates that Americans are less worried about energy issues than they have been in previous years uh, or in, in this century. So tell me what you think is driving those results. Besides, um, you know, I do think that we have an abundance, but is it all just that or is there something more to it? 
Well, it's that. It's 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 plus you have a, a presidential administration that uh, is actually encouraging uh, the production of energy in this country rather than trying to inhibit it. I mean, you have to consider that. Yeah, people were very worried about about energy over the last eight years because you had a presidential administration that was saying nothing but bad things about you know about the great preponderance of our energy in this country, which comes from oil, gas, and and coal. Um, and now you have an administration that is uh, creating a positive mindset about all forms of energy production, not just renewables. And so, you know, that naturally is going to have a psychological impact on, on the population. And, you know, I think uh, that has a lot to do with this Gallup poll result. And, uh, and, and then, of course, yeah, we, we've had a period of, of pretty low prices for, for gasoline and natural gas for home heating purposes and electricity generation. And, uh, and so that has a big role to play in it as well. So Americans uh, aren't real worried about uh, where their energy is going to come from right now, and, and they're very justified in that. Well, and they probably, Gallup, interviewed a lot of our listeners because yeah, we probably. certainly <laughs> have been helping everybody understand this is an enormous resource, and we are very blessed. And Texas um, is so fortunate to have uh, these resources. They provide plenty of jobs and a huge economic uh, impact to the state. And without that, um, we certainly would not be in the position we're in. But it's good to see that the American people are finally understanding the, the blessed resources that we have and, and that we need them. We, we need them uh, right now. And yeah, we'll and we're going to continue to need it for a long, long time to come. Yeah, and you know, obviously with, uh, you know, you look at the world's needs uh, for oil and gas and it's rising and it's going to continue to rise uh, you know, we definitely need to keep looking for oil and gas because, um, you know, it's an important, it's not just an important resource, but it actually is, it sustains lives in, in many countries and stuff. So it's an important resource that we need to make sure that we understand and how blessed we are to have it. But good for uh, the poll. Finally, I feel like maybe the American people are understanding there is a place for oil and gas. There's also a place for uh, resources as well that are wind and and solar sure. or more green. But I think together is where we, uh, you know, really create a, a great resource for all of us to enjoy. Uh, but one, you know, gas at the pump that are that is affordable and cheap is really always a blessing, especially with summer right around the corner. It uh, sure is. Well, David, that is all the time we have for today. I look forward to having you on the show next week when we talk a little bit more about energy and politics. Great. I look forward to it. Thanks again, David, but we do have to take a quick break. But when we return, we will have our guest, Commissioner Ryan Sinton of the Texas Railroad Commission. And we'll be right back with more of In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Join the Women's Energy Network for our biennial charity luncheon as we raise money for organizations that benefit STEM education among promising young girls within Title I HISD schools. The luncheon is taking place Thursday, April 12th at the Omni Westside Hotel. Doors open at 11 a.m. Houston, we need your support to continue stimulating the work of great nonprofits. This is an opportunity to do good, but also network with high-powered female leaders in energy. Free headshots on site. This is an event that can't be missed, so mark your calendars. For more information and to register online, visit womensenergynetwork.org. Can't wait to see you there. Sponsored by ConocoPhillips, TransCanada, Technip, FMC, Halliburton, Chenier, Wells Fargo, Callan Petroleum, Penwell, Wanta Services, and Sidley Austin. 
In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. Bahrain, a small island country in the Middle East, currently produces around 50,000 barrels a day of crude oil. However, that country made news yesterday when they announced a new oil discovery with an estimated 80 billion barrels of reserves. If accurate, this marks the largest shale discovery in the region in the modern era, rivaling the entire Russian oil reserve, but still smaller than the 500 billion barrel average that experts believe are in the Permian Basin. Since the new discovery is unproven, economists were not ready to project much of a short-term impact on oil markets, meaning there was little impact to oil prices. WTI finished down 41 cents at $63.13 a barrel, and natural gas finished down 3 cents at $2.68 a BTU. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Commissioner Ryan Sitton of the Texas Railroad Commission. Commissioner Sitton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kim. It's always good to be back with you. Well, you know, I'm very excited to have you uh, on the show today because you have started a new uh, partnership, if you will, or commitment, I would say, because it's not necessarily any formal partnership, but it's a commitment to helping us here in the Oil Patch Radio Show get the word out on energy and its topics. And you've agreed to start doing some energy moments that we have been producing to try to help the community understand more about oil and gas and prices and stuff. And so um, I wanted to thank you for doing that. And uh, obviously, we're playing them throughout the show. Um, but let's start with a little bit about, obviously, education is a key part of the Texas Railroad Commission. Tell us just briefly a little bit about your role, the Texas Railroad Commission, and why you you wanted to run for office. Well, sure. Well, first of all, it's a great segue talking about these energy minutes that we're doing. And you know, you say we I've agreed to, I've made this commitment to help you with that, but you're helping me as well because uh, as you said, a big part of the energy industry in Texas today is education. The energy industry is growing faster than it has in modern history. Uh, just 10 years ago, the state was producing a million barrels of crude oil a day. Now we're up to 4 million barrels of crude oil per day. And that's changing a lot of the world around us. And people that aren't in the oil and gas business find that to be kind of alien. And they, they man, what do I think when there's an oil well going in on this property or a pipeline going through this community that, that raises concerns? So we need people to know that we are in business. In other words, that the Railroad Commission is regulating. We need them to know that we understand this industry, that we are one of the uh, largest of our kind in the world in terms of our, of our experience and our knowledge. So doing those energy minutes allows me to remind people that of all those things in a very quick way. And so hopefully that helps get the message out. Now, back to the question that you asked me, you know, why did I run for office? I mean, a big part of it was that, hey, with all this opportunity and energy, I mean, the kind that really could change the world as, as we, the state of Texas, really lead this nation to, to a position where we are, we are able to dominate energy markets, you know, where the price of gasoline and diesel and natural gas are all based on what we do here and the fact that we have enough energy capacity to compete on a, on a global scale. I mean, those are very very important things in the future of this state and this nation. And being the first engineer in 50 years to serve in this role, I think I can help people appreciate the regulatory capacity that the Railroad Commission has and therefore feel good about all these opportunities in energy. So it's kind of a long answer to say, 
that's why I ran for office. And it, a big part of it is education. And the fact that you are, are letting me do these energy minutes with, with you is, is a great additional step in that direction. Well, you know, I think that a part of the importance of what you're doing and what we're doing and together coming together and partnering on this is, is important because there is a lot of discussion in oil and gas. And I think that the average day Joe, who is what this show is geared towards is a lot of the average person that wants to learn more or a person who wants to learn more. It's quite complicated because you hear a lot of things coming out of Washington, D.C., and then you hear a lot of things here locally. There's a lot of drilling going on in the state, and you don't quite know where to go for answers or to know what regulatory body is focusing on what. And then, you know, when we get the name Texas Railroad Commission, that also is a highly confusing area there because you all don't actually regulate railroads anymore. You regulate everything oil and gas. And so it's important that the information is continuing to be disseminated out to the masses. Um, And this is what you guys do is you regulate all of oil and gas. So when you guys come and talk on the show and tell us about the price of oil and what you guys think, it really matters. Um, And it also helps with being able to talk a little bit about, we're very diverse too, I'm sure you will agree with, we do have oil production, we do have gas production occurring in in Texas, and we need this. Uh, It's a huge economic driver for the state, but we also are very uh, diverse in the fact that we also focus a lot on wind and solar, and oil companies are utilizing these out in the communities as well. So great big discussion, a lot to unpack in this topic. And, and so, uh, you know, we're going to start the show off with talking a little bit about Sarah Week came, uh, Ryan, and left. And there was a lot of attendees. Actually, it was up. The attendance was up 15 to 20% over the year before. And you actually spoke at this conference. And so there was a lot of discussion from a lot of the main uh, executives that are basically focusing all over the state of Texas and then your discussion as well. When we come back from break, I want to get into what did you find to be the most important thing that you saw at Sarah Week? And then also, what was your discussion at Sarah Week when you spoke to uh, the crowd there at Sarah Week? But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to End the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The new issue of Shell Magazine featuring Parsley Energy is online now. Visit shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Oil Field Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oil Field Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. Have you heard of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, the largest state association in the country? 87 years strong, serving independents, and it's right here in Texas. Offices in Houston, Austin, and Wichita Falls. Over 3,000 members of all ages like you who are in the oil and gas industry or who have family members and friends who are. Company members range from one employee to large independents lobbying, networking events, and saving you money. 
For a membership tailored just to fit your budget, contact Sandy Simon at sandis at texasalliance.org or call 281-997-7223. That's 281-997-7223. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. Our guest today is Commissioner Ryan Sitton of the Texas Railroad Commission. Uh, Ryan, before the break, we were talking about CERA Week, one of the most respected and professional oil and gas conference that comes to Houston every year. Attendance was up over 15 to 20 percent, and you spoke at that conference. Tell us a little bit about what your discussion was about and the importance of Right Now Energy. Sure. Well, a couple things just so your listeners have some context. So Sierra Week is an annual conference, and it's really the biggest international energy, mostly oil and gas conference that happens. And so people come from all over the world. Nations are represented both from a a policy perspective. Large companies are represented. Technologies are represented. They all come to Sierra Week to share ideas and to to exchange, you know, to, to listen to different speeches. Uh, I actually sat on a panel with a group of regulators from around the world, and I, it was actually kind of cool. I'm sitting there on this panel. There's probably 20 or 30 of us, and my card says, Ryan Sitton, USA. <laughs> that was neat. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Texas Railroad Commissioner, to be, but, but to be there representing the, the best from an energy regulatory perspective that the U.S. has to offer, I thought was really neat. And so the, the rest of the people on the table, there was a couple more folks from the United States there, uh, one from – uh, the the federal level, uh, the the Bureau of uh, BOMA, is that it, or BESI? I can't remember which one they were from. But anyway, uh, the, the, everybody else there was from different nations. And you saw people from Australia, uh, from the UK, uh, a couple South American countries were there. Canada was represented there. And, and the discussion was about the future of oil and gas regulation. And I actually didn't do as much talking there as I did listening. And that's that's important because – what I found was even though you know I look around the state, I look at the Railroad Commission, and I say, we have a lot of opportunity to improve. And that's not because you know we, we don't have a great agency, don't have a great staff. We do. But the industry is evolving so quickly in Texas that you can see, man, to keep up with that and to enable that and to be the agency that really uh, really partners, if you will, with the, with the state and with our citizens to see the energy industry thrive, we've got a lot to do. Well, going to this conference, I sat there and I said, oh, my gosh, we are light years ahead of everybody else. 
I mean, really, some of the discussions from other countries, like I, I won't pick on them, but let's just say there was there was probably 30, 40 other countries represented in the room. I just, I mean, my jaw dropped when they talked about the basic things they were trying to do. Like, how, how do we know who's operating wells? And how do we know what good practices are? And how do we, you know, how do the people know that we are holding these operators in check? I mean, it was just very sort of rudimentary, uh, very limited perspective. And it also struck me that there was very limited expertise in actually what is done to produce oil and gas around the world. So it just gave me a real, real strong sense that, man, in, with most areas around the world, we, the Railroad Commission, with the state of Texas, we are way out in front of where everybody else is. And, you know, you, you bring up an empty, interesting uh, discussion because all of these things you discuss are being done at the Texas Railroad Commission. You all have your finger on the pulse of everything that's going on oil and gas, and it is completely regulated. And if you think about it, we have these other world in the world. We have these other countries that are focusing on oil, and we have these live discussions on environment and uh, how do we take care of the planet better. It would just make sense to me, or you know, that maybe we should be having a discussion that maybe you guys should come to the United States and look and see what we're doing, and maybe the United States should continue to stay as the leader in this area because. We are always mindful, I think, not we, but the United States is always mindful as a country for the environment. And we have great rules and regulations in place. That's not to say it's perfect, but it's pretty doggone close to it. And I think it is uh, a model for other countries. And the Railroad Commission, Texas Railroad Commission, is the one who actually holds, has all the knowledge. Um, and so to hear that is is uh, pretty startling to understand when you think about uh you know, oil resources all over the United States. But I do want to change the topic a little bit because there were a lot of CEOs that attended that were actually focusing on the United States shell plays. Um, Pioneer was there. Um, We had a lot of different CEOs attend. And so when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about your thoughts on um, where do you think they are going because there was a lot of different discussions from different CEOs. Some are you know, doubling down in Permian, some are doubling down in other areas. And so I just wanted to get your thoughts on where you think Texas energy and the United States energy is going. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to the End the Wool Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. PISA is the Petroleum Equipment and Services Association, who is the unified voice for the energy industry's service, supply, and manufacturing organizations, advocating and supporting continued achievements in job creation, technological innovation, and economic stability. PISA provides corporate membership opportunities in two categories, industry and allied. Over the years, a lot of amazing companies have become members of PISA, but don't take my word for it. Click on the directory on their website and see for yourself. In order to become a member of PISA, all you need to do is go to PESA.org, click on the membership tab, and fill out an application. Once again, that's PESA.org. The new issue of Shell Magazine featuring Parsley Energy is online now. Visit shellmag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. And we're back. Our guest today is Commissioner Ryan Sinton of the Texas Railroad Commission. Ryan, before the break, we were talking about Sarah Week. A lot of interesting uh, discussions, um, a lot of different uh, interesting panelists were attending, and a lot of different CEOs from different companies that are pretty much uh, focusing on uh, North America, U.S. shell plays. 
And um, some of the interesting discussions came from some of the CEOs like uh, Pioneer uh, CEO Tim Dove and um, XTO's president also had some discussion on their thoughts on Permian Basin. And it almost appears as though they really have a lot of interest and investment in the Permian Basin. And then we have other CEOs, Mark Papa with Centennial Resources, kind of sitting on the other side of the discussion. And so tell me what you think is going on with some of the majors in, especially in Texas, rather it's Eagle Ford, Permian, um, or other shell places. Yeah, um, it's a great question. And we may have to take a couple segments on this, but it really is, it's, it's sort of the underpinning story of the entire oil and gas industry right now. And it's funny that you talk about the majors these days. And the majors are, you don't, you did not say, you did say XCO, which is part of Exxon, but Chevron, BP, Shell, the sort of traditional majors are not who we're talking about onshore in Texas right now. In fact, uh, a lot of people don't know in the Permian Basin, actually the biggest producer now after an acquisition that was announced that, that hasn't gone through yet, but that was announced just this past week will be Concho. Concho Resources is going to be the largest producer in the Permian Basin. Here's the debate. How much oil can the U.S. shale producers produce? How much can the U.S. shale uh, plays produce. You, know, you look around the United States today, we're getting, you know, we're 10 million barrels a day. I'm using round numbers for the sake of, of simplicity. We're 10 million barrels a day. Russia and Saudi Arabia are both above 10 million barrels a day. We're all jockeying for that number one position. And there's a lot of speculation that the U.S. shale plays can put an additional 5 million barrels a day of production on the market, say, in the next five to 10 years, which would mean the U.S. would be producing 15 million barrels a day which would be 50% more than Saudi Arabia or Russia. Very big numbers. Very, very big numbers. That's And that total, by the way, the, U, the world uses about 100 million barrels of crude oil a day. So that's you know us going from 5% of the world's oil production 10 years ago, when we were only producing five, to now 10, to going to 15. I mean, we're outstripping everybody. And the discussion is, how long can that continue? Mo, I would say, you know, you look at the difference between Mark Papa and some of these other guys, is what there's, there's a discussion about the Permian Basin specifically, and then a discussion around the rest of the shale plays, you know, from the the uh, North Dakota Bakken to Eagle Fur to the scoop and the stack in Oklahoma. I mean, what can these other shale plays produce? And it's not as simple a question as volume as much as it is, is volume for dollars. So if you said, well, Ryan, you know, and I've been pretty, pretty public about the fact that I think oil prices this year are going to hang around the 60 to 62, $63 a barrel range. Like, I think we're going to kind of hover there for most of this year because the market's fairly stable right now. We can see demand creeping up as global energy demand grows and oil demand within that energy portfolio grows. We see that, that there is a nice uh, forward look to supply staying on the market. I think that the OPEC producers are incentivized to kind of hold with their agreement. So stable market, $60, $65 a barrel ought to be where we stay. Well, what I see coming when you look two, three years down the road is not a glut of oil on the market, not an oversupply, but an overdemand. The world is adding between a million and a half and two million barrels a day of demand every year. And then another one to two to three years, you're talking about somewhere between four and six million barrels of additional demand coming on the market. The U.S. will fill some of that. Saudi Arabia, Russia will fill some of that. But we're going to get to a point in you know, five, six, seven years where we are undersupplied. And I do not think that the U.S. shale producer can produce an unlimited amount of oil. In fact, 
I think in most of the areas that Eagleford, Scoopstack, the Bakken, I think that we're reaching a point where those are going to, their production is going to level off. I don't think they're going to grow a lot until we see big dollar differences. Now, which now we're talking five, six years down the road. If oil prices go up to $80, $90 a barrel, then they'll start to see additional production in what we would consider to be tier two drilling locations. That is where the big disagreement in market comes from, is how much do we think that the U.S. shale producer can produce specifically in the current kind of economic range? Uh, I also believe in the Permian Basin that we are, we're going to be seeing two to three million barrels a day of additional production from the Permian Basin over the next five years. Uh, which will be great. I think we have the rock to do that. I think the, the oil is there. I think we can even do that at current prices if we have sufficient pipeline capacity to get all of that production out of the Permian Basin into the market. So when you look and you say, well, that's a couple of big ifs in there. If prices stay where they are, and if we get sufficient pipeline capacity, then Ryan, you're only talking about the Permian Basin being the big grower. That none of the other resources are going to grow that much, and that's exactly what I'm saying, and that's where you'll hear some of the market is, and if the, if if we only add that two to three million barrels, then all of a sudden, once again, the the world is in is supply constrained, hence oil prices will come up, uh, and we'll see a different environment. Exactly, very very interesting. The topic I want to turn to next is the geopolitical. Uh, scene and start talking a little bit about one of the discussions was the tariffs, potential tariffs, and would it harm the energy industry? Um, since that time, we've had a lot more movement in different areas with President Trump. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about politics at a world level, but we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit YamahaViking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha source side-by-side owner study. Oilfield Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oilfield equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oilfield parts for your fleet maintenance needs, Oilfield Experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oilfield Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Commissioner Ryan Sinton of the Texas Railroad Commission. And Ryan, before the break, we wanted to get on some of the uh, geopolitical topics, one specifically that's coming up is uh, the tariffs. It was very, uh, there was a lot of discussion from different uh, uh, energy folks that were attending the Sarah Week, and it still is kind of continuing. Can you bring us up to speed on where we are with the tariffs? Uh, China now has, has, has come into the mix. So let's talk a little bit about what do you think, how will tariffs affect the oil and gas industry? Sure. When, you know, there's so much to this, to, to global trade, that it's hard to sum it up in a six minute segment here, but let me give a couple of tidbits that I'm concerned about from energy industry perspective. So everyone knows that that uh, President Trump came out 
you know, a few weeks ago and said, hey, I think we should look at tariffs on, on well, in fact, he had even his campaign was talking about tariffs, sort of protectionist strategies for U.S. businesses. U.S. steel industry has, has been hurt over the past even couple of decades because where we have lower uh, manpower costs in other countries, lower manufacturing costs, they've been producing steel. That steel has been sometimes dumped on our market, sometimes just sent here because it was more affordable steel. And you know we've that, that's hurt us here at home. And so Trump had said, hey, I think we should add a tariff on steel um, to sort of balance the, the trade there. Of course, the, the initial reaction from the U.S. Uh, say oil and gas producer was, wait a minute, everything we do in this industry from a machine perspective is made out of steel. So if you go add a tariff, then that's going to raise my cost. And since we are not in a U.S. – we are not in an, only a U.S. business, we compete globally. So take, for example, an oil producer producing oil right here at home is competing against an oil producer in the Middle East or in South America or in Canada who's trying to sell his oil here. He says, if you raise my cost but not my competitor's cost, I'm at a disadvantage, and don't we want to use U.S. energy? Which is a fantastic point, as you can imagine. So the discussion became, okay, well, what, how much does this really mean? I actually had a, a discussion with a, a fairly sophisticated couple of operators, one who actually said, hey, I've run the numbers on this. And even if tariffs caused the cost of steel to go up by 10%, the net result, or maybe even 20%, the net result to me and my lift cost, so the cost to get oil out of the ground, was like 3 or 4%. Now, that's not a massive number. And for some producers who are in really good, uh, really great geological areas where they've got great margins, they can handle that. But as you, as you know, a lot of us know, man, when prices were down at like $45 a barrel, $40 a barrel, margins were razor thin. And by raising costs by 4%, 3%, 5%, that, that would have been really, really challenging. So you saw a lot of oil industry overall producers saying, yeah, hey, we got to be very careful here. And then you have a couple of specific examples, like tube manufacturers, people who make the, who make their living in the United States, supplying steel products to the industry, saying flat out, if you do this, it doesn't just raise my cost by 10%, it puts me out of business because I just can't compete. So overall industry was going to get hurt a little bit. Some pieces of industry, specifically manufacturers, could have been hurt very, very badly. So there was a lot of kind of initial response. Hey, let's let's be careful. Let's make sure we understand the implications of this. And as that was going on, you saw the president and his administration, I won't want to say walking it back, but they, they were putting some context around it, saying, well, look, you know, we want to be careful how we do this. Where can we give credits, that sort of thing? And I think that put some people's minds at ease. Well, that played out over the next couple of weeks to the point that then you heard China kind of get in and say, look, if you put tariffs on our steel, we're going to put tariffs on your X, whatever X is. And one of the big opportunities for the United States on us selling products to China is energy. China is hungry for oil. They are hungry for natural gas. Latest numbers are going to escape me here a little bit, but it wasn't that long ago that Australia, which is a big gas producer, was selling over half of its natural gas to China. So as China's looking to grow its economy, its, its manufacturing, everything is looking at where to get energy because it doesn't have a lot of energy resources. It's a great place for us to sell product. And once again, one of the concerns of the energy industry is, hey, if we put tariffs on their steel, do they put tariffs on our energy and end up, you know, are, are we in a battle where these basic raw commodities uh, are causing a, an actual total global economic slowdown? We saw news stories about that just this week, which is one of the big reasons we saw some stock market drops.
So anyway, whole lot of minutia there. But yes, these these you know, tariffs and trade wars can absolutely have a profound impact on the energy industry. Interesting. Well, Ryan, I want to switch gears real quick and just get your opinion on a poll that recently came out from Gallup. And it was discussing uh, or they polled Americans concerned about uh, energy. And it actually was surprising to me that a lot of Americans are no longer uh, concerned about energy the way it had been in the past. And part of it, uh, the poll was discussing that there's a lot of access to energy on the market. There's diverse energy uh, coming on the market, as well as just affordable energy. And because there's a lot of discussion out in the media, I think it actually also had a way of lowering a lot of um, people's uh, thoughts on that we are running out of energy or energy is bad. And so this poll is signifying that finally it looks like the American people are understanding this resource. Tell me what your thoughts are. (laughs) Well, I didn't see the poll, Kim, but it's not surprising at all. And I actually think it's a relatively simple uh, model here. At the end of the day, people tend to be concerned about things when they think they can't afford them or when they think that they're going to have a big impact on their pocketbook. You ask me, I can go out and do a poll of all Americans and I say, what's the most important thing when it comes to energy for you? They say, I want it to be a, a reliable, I want it to be affordable. And if you hit both of those, then I'd also like it to be developed responsibly. I'd like it to be clean. Right. I mean, that's like 90 percent of people, regardless of what their political uh, affiliations are, that's their politics. Well, what's happened is over the last 20 years, we've produced more oil in this country, more natural gas in this country. Yes, coal is on the decline, partially due to government regulations, but partially due to just the economics of it. We have more wind energy. We have more solar energy. And so people are finding that energy is really cheap. If you look on a per capita consumption basis, people are spending less money on energy today than they ever have on on a per BTU per capita basis. So yeah, but by buying more energy, therefore spending more money. Overall, they're spending less money on it, adjusted for inflation. So people aren't concerned about it. And, and I think that you can look around and say, that's due to the innovation, the technology advancements, it's due to the job, the jobs that everybody's doing and for, from your oil and gas company to your nuclear reactor, to your solar farm. Uh, but let's face it, a big part of that is the oil and gas industry. We've gotten just really, really good at this. We're leading the world and people are feeling the benefits. It's a great time to be optimistic about every other industry in the state and in this country because energy is so plentiful, so reliable and so affordable. Well, there you have it. Straight from Commissioner Sinton. And I loved that closing, Commissioner Sinton, because it really is a very truthful assessment. But that is all the time that we have for this show today. Thank you for coming on the show and thank you for being a guest. Awesome. Thank you, Kim. And that's all the time we have. But be sure to like us on Facebook. That's Facebook.com slash in the oil patch radio show or follow us on Twitter at Shell Mag. If you are interested in keeping up with In the Oil Patch Radio Show or the latest issue of Shell Magazine, you can do that. It's free. All you have to do is go to www.shellmag.com. Again, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com and sign up for our free newsletter. That is going to wrap up another great show. We'll see you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then... Adios. In the Oil Patch is where together we learn and explore topics that affect us all in oil and gas, business, and in your community. Every week, our host, Kim Bilotto, along with me, Alvin Bailey, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.